Well, welcome to another episode of Just Telling My Stories. This is Evangelist Deborah Wright, a.k.a. Lady Parablis, and this is an episode that this month is Black History Month, so I don't normally dress like this. This is not normally the purse I carry or the clothes that I wear, but today I figured, well, this month, I figured I would tell some black history stories. Now, write this down, because most of you may not know who this person is that I'm going to tell you about today. She was born in 1818, and her name was Bridget Biddy Mason. Write that down so you can Google her and look up her. And It's a very fascinating story, and I like to tell it pretty much every Black History Month because she did so much for us, and people don't recognize her. Even though she's been gone a long time, look her up, and you can start telling Bridget Biddy Mason's story. Oh, oh, freedom. Oh, Oh, freedom, oh, oh, freedom, freedom, oh, sweet freedom. Well, sir, here we are again another Black History Month in the United States of America. Now, ain't no use of you trying to guess who I am because very few people outside of Los Angeles, California know my name. I don't get offended because, you see, I do what I did just because it was the right thing to do. My name is Bridget Mason. They call me Biddy. Yes, Bridget Biddy Mason. Now, some folks say I was born in Hancock, Georgia, and other folks say I was born in Mississippi, but to tell you the truth, I don't rightly know. All I know is that I was born a slave. Being born a slave is a miserable life. I wouldn't put that on nobody. I don't remember my mom or my pa, but they tell me that I was part African and part Native American. Don't none of that matter. I'm still a slave. Now, I was sold several times in my lifetime, but I started remembering when I got sold to John Smithson. Now, John Smithson, he was a slave master. (laughs) He didn't always do right by us. Matter of fact, when I was a young woman, about maybe about 18 or 20 or something like that, his cousin, Robert Marin Smith, and his wife, Rebecca Crosby Smith, got married. And my master, John Smithson, gave me away to them like I was a chicken or something. And that's how I got from Georgia to Mississippi. Now, Mrs. Smith was right sickly, and so I spent a lot of my time taking care of Mrs. Smith. But my job was more than that. I took care of, I helped the house slaves with the stuff they were doing in the house. It was my job to tend to the children, as well as work in the cotton field. And and if any babies was born, whether it was a cow or whether it was a person, I was the midwife to them. (laughs) 
Now, I got real good at midwifing, and I got real good at mixing up medicines. God showed me how to take herbs and plants and stuff and mix it for the healing of the body. Now, Master didn't always do good by me. All three of my children is his. I was blessed with three beautiful daughters. Lord, and in one year, after all that dirt he did, Master decided to get religion. Yeah, he done got saved now. <laughs> now, if that wasn't enough, he wanted to be part of the leadership of what they called a Mormon church. Master decided that he was going to be part of a 300-wagon team that left from Mississippi to go to Salt Lake City, Utah. Utah. I ain't never heard of no Utah. <laughs> but I tell you one thing, it's a long walk, 1,700 miles. Now, Master and his folk, they rode in them 300 wagons, and they carried their belongings in the 300 wagons. And it wasn't like we was on no vacation just because we was walking from one place to another. I still had to tend to the babies, tend to Master's wife, tend to making the food, preparing the meals for all them folk, setting up camp, setting down camp, everything in between. I was tired. I ain't never walked so much in my life. And we didn't get no break just because we was traveling 1,700 miles. That's a long place to drive, let alone walk. Sometimes at night, I was so tired, I could hardly even sleep. Even though I had to get up early in the morning and start the same thing all over again. <laughs> Being a slave wasn't no good thing. Because nobody knowed all the trouble that we saw. <laughs> we walked and walked and walked some more. Now, mind you, I had children of my own. At that time, my children was 10 and 4, and I had a baby that was still on my breast. But they worked me like a slave. <laughs> and when I thought at night sometimes I, I might have just a, a few minutes to myself, I would look up at the stars and, and just feel so helpless. All this great big old world and here I am alone. Sometimes I, I, I felt like a motherless child, you know. I never knew my mom, I was so little. And then soon as I had two minutes to myself, that old so-called same master come tipping around. <laughs> because his wife was sick and couldn't provide her wifely duties. So along with all my other duties, here he come. God help me. I had to live. I couldn't just roll over and die. I had to live for my children. Maybe one day they would have a better life than mine. After all that walking, we finally got settled in into that place they call Salt Lake City, Utah. 
Now, if that wasn't good enough, and about two years later, my feet were still tied, and Massa decided that it was some heathens over in San Bernardino, California, and him and this time 150 wagons needed to go over there and get them some religion. So we commenced to walking again. Oh, Lord. I don't know. Now, the head of the Mormon church, Brigham Young, I believe was his name, he tried to warn Massa that don't go to no San Bernardino, California, because during the time you was walking all the way from Mississippi to Salt Lake City, Utah, they nobody told you that they done joined the union and that they was a free state. <laughs> oh, if Master knew he was walking us to our freedom, he'd have had a fit. But you see, Master, he was so high and mighty, and he figured a slave didn't know nothing about no freedom. And if he was to get it, we wouldn't want it because we was part of his family, he said. <laughs> he thought we was too dumb to know what freedom even meant. Now, along the way, all that walking from Salt Lake City, Utah, to San Bernardino, California, we met some free black folk. I haven't never seen no free black folk before. And they started telling us, soon as you get to California, just as soon as you get there, you fight and petition for your freedom. And they just might give it to you. That helped me get through all that walking and all them lonely nights thinking about one day me and my children might have a chance to experience freedom. And I thought about that night, what would I do if I had my freedom? Oh, wow. That got me through those times. We finally got to San Bernardino, California, and we met some more free black folk. But I don't know why it took five years for us to get up the courage or for the right things to happen or the right people to be in place for us to go and petition for our freedom. Well, we met some folks called the Owens, Mr. and Mrs. Owens, Robert and Minnie Owens. And my daughter Ellen was a little sweet on their boy, and he was sweet on Ellen. And they helped us go to the court and told us the right stuff to do to petition for our freedom. <laughs> Child, when Massa found out I done went to the judge and I was trying to sue him for my freedom, he was hot. <laughs> he loaded us all up in a wagon and planned to take us off and take us to Texas so he could keep us, <laughs> like we was his family, like we didn't want to be free. Well, the Owens went and got the sheriff, and they come chasing after us in that wagon. Yes, they did. And they caught us right before we crossed over into Texas, which was a slave state. So the sheriff, till they got the finishing of the matter, he put us in the jail cell so Master couldn't grab us up no more. About three days after that, the judge made a decision. And I, I always knew there was a God, but I really knew it was a God when the master said that me and my children and, and Miss Hannah and her children, 13 of us total, he let us have our freedom. 
That was one of the best days. Well, that was the best day in my life. I finally lived long enough to get my freedom, me and my children. The Owen said, now, Betty, you's a free woman. What you going to do? Where you going to go? Well, I told you, my daughter and, and their son was a little sweet on each other. So we decided we'd go to Los Angeles with the Owenses. God bless me soon as I got to Los Angeles. You see, all them babies I done birthed and all them, them children that I done helped midwifing and the skills that God gave me with my hands about mixing up medicine and stuff came in handy. You see, around that time, free folks was making a whole dollar and 50 cents a day. Now, I went there and I met this Dr. Green, doctor, and he heard about my skills and took me around a little bit and saw what I could do. That doctor paid me $2.50 a day. <laughs> God is good, ain't he? <laughs> yes, and the Owens was wealthy to be a free black folk. Because, see, they had to buy their freedom from where they come from. So they knew how to save money and how to do stuff. And they said, Betty, don't spend all that money. You save some of that $2.50 a day to do something for yourself. I did. I took care of my children. I fed them, and we had a place to stay. And I saved my money. Now, it took me 10 long years, but I finally saved $250. <laughs> I said, bitches, you got you some money now. What you going to do? I always dreamed of being free, and, and I dreamed that free people could buy property. Not no slaves. They could buy land. So I went, and I bought me two little pieces of land. I was so proud of myself. Now, for the first few years, I, I made a little garden, and I had food for my family, and I had food to give away. And after that, I figured, I'm free. So let me do some other stuff. So I had some little buildings built on my land, some little wooden buildings, and I rented them out to people, and that gave me another income. And people saw how good I was doing down there on Spring Street. And they came and they said, Bridget, we want to buy a little bit of your land. I wasn't too sure about selling my land now, but they offered me $1,500. I sold a little bit of my land. Then I took that $1,500 and I built me a bigger building. I built enough space down at the bottom so the freed folks can have their little offices and stuff. And me and my family lived on the top. Now, God bless, because a lot of folk was coming to Los Angeles around that time, and stuff was booming, baby. <laughs> I ended up being a very wealthy woman because I used what God gave me. But more than that, I was free-hearted. I had, I had enough money. I, 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 I I went to the jails, and I saw about the people in the jails. I fed the hungry. I helped the homeless. I helped the other entrepreneurs get started by having a nice place to run their little businesses. 
And I didn't charge them too much rent because I believe if you keep your hand closed, can't nothing get in there. But an open hand, when you help people, you receive too. And I live my life by that model. <laughs> now, I died very wealthy. I think I had around $300,000 back there in 1800. And if you calculated it, that would have equated about seven or eight million dollars today. Now, I told my children, don't never sell that land. Or don't never sell all stuff. And you know, over time, they might have sold and switched, but they always reinvested in land so that we could have generational wealth. Now, my grandson at one time was the wealthiest man, one of the wealthiest men in whole Los Angeles. Now, when I died, they buried me right outside of town in a little old unmarked grave. You know, sometimes you think about all the stuff you did in your life, and then you died, nobody even put a marker on your grave. But I ain't do it to be famous. I did it because it was in my heart to help peoples. And that's what I did. Now, about a hundred years, oh, I forgot to tell you. I gave money so they can build the first black church in Los Angeles. Yes, sir. First African Methodist Episcopal Church. <laughs> you know that church is still there today in 2020. But... In 1988, I believe, Mayor Tom Bradley, he heard about my story, and he decided that'd been too long for me to be in an unmarked grave, so he had a great big old celebration, and about a thousand of them folk from that little church came. Well, there ain't no little church there, and they had about 3,000 members by that time, and people from the city and all kind of people came. And they declared that November 16, 1989, was the first Bridget Biddy Mason Day. Oh, that was right nice of him. And they gave me honor for the things that I did. Now, this time of year, I usually go around in February, and I usually tell people about what I did, not to be bragging and all, but really to be encouraging to folk that, even though I was born at the bottom of the, of the barrel, a slave, God used my hands and my brain and my heart. And when I started helping people, that's when my blessings came. Now I look around here at y'all in 2020. You still walking around like you're in slavery. Some of you got some smart brains up there. But ask yourself, what is I'm doing with it? God gave you opportunity. Just like we walked around Los Angeles for five years and we was free. Don't walk around with your freedom and act like you bound and in slavery. Find out what you're supposed to be doing and, and get to doing it. Now, another thing is I see folk out here making way more than $2.50 a day, way more than $2.50 an hour, and ain't got $250 saved. You got to do like the Owens told me, start saving your money. 
Not to buy no tennis shoes. Not to buy no purses and stuff with somebody else's initials on making their family rich. But to invest in your own family, your own livelihood. Now, y'all can get land anytime you want to. How many of you got some? Matter of fact, how many of you got $250? I just come around to encourage you. And another thing I want to tell you, you got to work together. I could have took me and my family, we could have had our land, we could have lived good, we could have done what we did. But I believed in helping the other folk trying to get their little businesses and stuff. Now, some of them came up to be pretty good businesses. Yeah. So I just want to tell you, just be proud of your freedom. It ain't nothing like freedom. <laughs> I looks around, and it's so sad to see so many of y'all in this new kind of slavery. I think they call it incarceration. <laughs> it's a sad thing. But just like I got my freedom, start thinking and start doing the things to keep your freedom. Don't get involved with the wrong people in the wrong situations that can cause you to lose your freedom because it ain't nothing more important than to be free. I know. Now, I got this little poem here. It says by Deborah A. Wright, copyright 2015. And um, since my time, y'all had a hero, a man named Martin Luther King. And this here poem is about him. And it says, who buried the dream? When they were young and full of hope, Martin had a dream. When foes oppressed, distress unrest, they marched towards freedom's beam. The battle hired, the journey long, most tedious and uphill. The cry for freedom rang out loud as blood ran down the hill. Jim Crow guarded as his own unwilling to render our due. They boycotted, marched, and went to jail not willing to subdue. But one day Martin had a dream that the future would unfold. Little boys, black and white, hand in hand, the story told, of a land of peace and harmony, a land where all were free, where bloodshed was not our own, a land of unity. Oh, yes, we moved to the front of the bus. At the counters we could eat. Forbidden fountains quenched thirst for all. We rested our weary feet. But nearly 50 years have passed since freedom's story told. A younger generation dares to cry. <laughs> that dream has gotten old. A generation that has no scars of haunting mentor memories, the fear of terror, dread of night, of hooded enemies, of crosses burned in our front yards, souls silenced by hatred stare, strange fruit spurned by the ignorant and unlearned, yet 
our freedom we did dare. Nowadays it's God bless the child that's got his own. An anthem they now sing. They've taken Jim Crow's shovel and somebody buried the dream. We must take our youth beneath our wings and spend precious time to teach unless they know our history well. The agony will repeat. Multitudes have struggled. Many died for freedoms we received. A dream so full of promise we must continue. We must believe. Teach our young. Remind the old. Keep Martin's dream alive. For freedom we must never rest. March forth, my people. Strive. You see, now is a good time as any. So much ground to redeem. Pull together, my people. Heed the call. We must unearth the dream. Now that this is February 2020, we've learned a lot of history. We've learned a lot of the true facts of history. Some of the things that I learned in first and second grade weren't necessarily all of the truth, and some of it were outright lies. Make a promise to yourself to study our history. Study, I won't say black history, study our history because what happened to us, they were part, every other people were part of it. So study our history and look at people like Bridget Biddy Mason and Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth, Booker T. Washington, oh, George Washington Carver. There's so many people that could have lost hope, that could have gave up the dream, but each of them took what was inside of them and they unselfishly shared with the world their inventions, their creations, their stories, their poetry, their songs, their visions, their ideas. No, it wasn't easy. Sometimes now people say, it's too hard to go for your dream. Well, that dream would not have been planted on the inside of you if it wasn't possible for you to be the one to fulfill it. We can't always look at other people and say, well, let them have the dream first, then I'll go for mine. I, most of you know that I'm a stage four cancer survivor, and I've had dreams a long time, you know. I'm, I'm older now. But now, having survived cancer, I go back and I look at some of those dreams that I just took for granted. Storytelling is one of them. I like telling stories. I've written hundreds of stories and never even shared them with anybody. So this whole show, just telling my stories, is part of my dream. Part of my dream to share our history, to share our vision, to share things so that we can pass on from generation to generation. What is your dream? If you would like to be a supporter of just telling my stories, you can cash up $2, $3, $4, whatever, to dollar sign, that's right, on Cash App. Here at KAZ Radio TV, we, they help support a lot of people's dreams. And even you can support a dream. What is your dream? Just like Bridget Biddy Mason and just like so many others, 
February is a wonderful time to write your vision out, write your dream out, and be proud of the person that God has created you and the dream that he's buried deep inside of you. Again, this is Deborah A. Wright, a.k.a. Lady Pebbles, signing off for just telling my stories. Please click share. Share this with your friends. Share this with your children that want to learn more about history. But more importantly, share it with people that are doing chemo and dialysis and things. It's a nice opportunity to share something positive and enlightening for them during that long period of time. My chemo was like six hours. And so you could share it. You could save it on your phone, send it through the phone, send it through Facebook or whatever. But be reminded that you too have a story. And now is the time for you to tell your story. Thank you.